0: What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Howdy folks, Dominic here. Today's episode is slightly out of order with recent tales. We've been talking about the reign of Tutankhamun and his government. Today we need to rewind slightly. We are introducing a new kingdom, a new empire, and that will require some backstory. So bear in mind, the events of this episode take place before the reign of Tutankhamun. If you are just here for Tut, feel free to skip, otherwise enjoy the show. Around 1355 BCE, a man in Lebanon put pen to tablet. He composed a letter to the pharaoh of Egypt. In this letter, the man, a ruler, warned the pharaoh of new threats rising in the north. Trouble had come to Syria, and a powerful kingdom was threatening war. Quote, Rebadi of Beblos speaks to his lord, the king of the lands, the king of Egypt. I fall at the feet of my lord, my sun god, seven times and seven times. May the king, my lord, know that the city of Byblos, your servant, has been at peace since ancient times. But may the king, my lord, be alerted. The king of Hatti has taken all the lands, all the tribute bearers, of the king of the land of Matani, the king of the land of Naharin, The land of great kings. Rabadi, ruler of Byblos, wrote to the pharaoh Akhenaten. He was concerned that trouble had come to Syria, that the king of a land called Hati had overwhelmed a major empire. Hati, in modern day Turkey, was a rising kingdom. You might know it better as the land of the Hittites. everyone, and welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast. Episode 142b, The Deeds of the Hittites. Today we take a trip beyond the borders of Egypt and its empire. We travel north, far from the Nile Valley, and we visit a land that, today, is part of the countries Turkey and Syria. We are going to the Kingdom of the Hittites. The Hittites are a famous group in ancient history, they waged war against great powers like Egypt and Mitanni. They traded and dealt with the peoples of Canaan, Syria, Cyprus, and Greece. And they left an enduring mark on the landscape and peoples of their realm. Today, I want to introduce the Hittites, and cover their history before the reign of Tutankhamun. Hopefully, we can get a sense of what this kingdom was about, This episode comes to you on the offering plates of Connor, Alexander, and Taritza, who generously subscribed to the Patreon. Folks, you are too kind. I am sure that Amun-Ra and the storm gods of Hati will bless you and look kindly on your deeds. To everyone listening, thank you for joining me. Let's go to a foreign land. Our story begins in the highlands of Anatolia, the modern nation of Turkey. Anatolia is a peninsula that stretches westward and juts into the Aegean Sea. It is a mountainous region. The land is steep and hilly, difficult to traverse quickly. In summer, it is hot, in winter, terribly cold. The mountain peaks form high ranges that run from west to east. In between, River valleys and plateau offer space for farming and settlements. In antiquity, this area was thick with forests, which was great for fuel and offered much to the early settlers. People have lived in Anatolia for thousands of years. You have probably heard of Chatalhoyuk or Gobekli Tepe, the settlements where Neolithic humans built some of the earliest towns. Chatalhoyuk and Gobekli Tepe are not Hittite settlements, they are much older, but they convey the basic point. Humans have lived here for a long time indeed. As I mentioned, Anatolia is mountainous. There are two great ranges running from east to west. These hills divide the landscape and make it difficult to move or settle in certain directions. As a result, the communities that lived in Anatolia tended to be isolated they communicated, but formed their own centres. Over time, the peoples of this region developed a huge variety of languages and traditions. So when we talk about ancient Anatolia, or Turkey, we are speaking of a disparate, fragmented land. Unity was difficult, and diversity was the default. Keep that in mind, because it does influence the development of the Hittite kingdom. Over thousands of years, the peoples of Anatolia built small territories and states. The communities living on the coast were particularly lucky. They could access trade and communication with distant lands. So we start to hear about these kingdoms in the Egyptian records in the context of trade and tribute. The pharaohs and their officials would reference kingdoms in the south and west of Anatolia, the lands that connected with the sea and the trade. The Hittites were not one of these people. While the coastal settlements thrived, the Hittites emerged in the highlands. The kingdom of the Hittites formed in a region called Hati. It is mountainous, with river valleys and plateau. There are many settlements, with diverse populations and traditions. The people themselves were probably a mix of various languages and groups which makes it difficult to define the Hittites specifically. It is unclear where the Hittites come from originally. They might have entered Anatolia from other regions, migrating or invading. Or they could be natives, who developed a distinct identity. There is no consensus just yet among academics. Scholars looking at language, DNA, and archaeology have put forth several arguments, but it seems that no one has managed to solve every problem about the Hittite origins. So the background of the Hittites is still a matter of debate. Fortunately, they did not seem to care that much. The Hittites did not call themselves Hittites. That term comes from the Bible. Instead, the Hittites said that they were, quote, the people of the land of Hatti. In other words, they were more interested in their land, their place, the region that they lived. That was their point of reference. So the academic debate is academic. The ancients called themselves people of the land of Hatti. This would be the basis for the Hittite kingdom. The Kingdom of the Hittites first emerged around 1670 BCE. Right from the start, it was a successful state. The early Hittite monarchs led expeditions to conquer new lands. They expanded their territory, captured wealth, and acquired new subjects. They built a capital city called Hattusa, a magnificent town that would become a crown jewel of the region. Hattusa modern Bogazkoi, is one of the ancient world's great capitals. So the first generations were active and accomplished. They had successes early on, and this encouraged them to even larger deeds. Before too long, the kings of Hati started to look out of their regional homeland. They looked beyond the mountain ranges and sought new lands to conquer and subdue. Pretty soon, the Hittites marched out of Anatolia and entered the lands of Syria. In the process, they made a stunning entrance onto the world stage. The Kingdom of Hatti emerged around 1670 BCE. Just 80 years later, a king of Hatti would do something spectacular. In 1595 BCE, a ruler named Mersili led an army out of central Anatolia. He left the highlands and headed south and east. He went into lands that today are part of Syria and Iraq. Mersili invaded this region, leading his troops further south. Eventually, the Hittite army came to the walls of Babylon. Babylon is a legendary name, the home of Hammurabi and Marduk, the great god. The city of Babylon is one of humanity's oldest and most famous communities. By 1595, Babylon had forged a mighty kingdom, an empire, in the heart of modern Iraq. It was a prestigious and wealthy community, which made it a rather tempting target. In 1595, the king of Hathi, Mersili, marched out of his homeland and came to the city of Babylon. The Hittite warriors did not come in peace. Instead, they attacked Babylon. They plundered the city, overthrowing its rulers and looting its temples. Their work was thorough. Hittite warriors even stole the statue of Marduk, the great god who looked after Babylon, they took Marduk from his sanctuary and carried him back to Hatti. In the process, Mursili and his soldiers took the wealth and dignity of Babylon, and they took its divine protection. Marduk, the great god, was now a prisoner of Hatti. The deeds of Mursili resonate even today. His campaign swept through Syria and Iraq, and affected towns that still exist in our modern world. We hear about this campaign in an early Hittite text. It says When Myrsili was king in Hattusa, his sons, brothers, in laws, family members, and troops were all united. He controlled the enemy land with force and he took away their power. He went to the city Aleppo and he destroyed it and took his people and its goods back to Hattusa. Afterwards, Mersili went to Babylon, and he destroyed Babylon. He took the people from Babylon and its goods to Hattusa. End quote. Mersili conquered Babylon, but he did not keep it. Instead, the king and his troops returned to Hatti, satisfied with their loot. This makes sense. Babylon is a long way from Hatti, which makes the attack even more impressive. But it also meant that keeping Babylon controlling it, was not really feasible. So the warriors of Hatti swept south, plundered Babylon, and then left. However you look at it, it was a stunning move. A bold declaration that this group, these people of Hatti, were a potent force. So the Hittites emerged on the world stage around 1595 BCE. They invaded Syria, and even marched south to attack Babylon, Quite the accomplishment for a kingdom less than 100 years old. Sadly, these glory days did not last. After the invasions, the Hittites were quiet. For 200 years, they remained in the north. The kings of Hatti spent generations dealing with rebellions, challenges, and internal affairs. We do not have time to explore these middle centuries, and the history is murky anyway. So, let's move on. We have covered the earliest phase of Hittite royal history. Now, let's fast forward a bit, and meet one of their famous rulers. We fast forward to 1360 BCE, approximately. Egypt lived under the rule of Akhenaten. To the north, a different king was rising in power. For 300 years, the kingdom of Hati had been quiet. After some early successes and stunning victories, the highland kingdom had turned inward once again. So, we do not hear much about them outside of Hati. To the rest of the world, this kingdom was quiet. A force, but a distant force at best. Well, that was about to change. Around 1360 BCE, a new ruler took charge of Hatti. This king's name was Supaluliuma. He would be a major character for the history of this period. Supaluliuma is a famous name in Hittite history. A victorious general and a cunning diplomat, he carved out a large and powerful empire. Supaluliuma established relations with the pharaohs of Egypt, and got involved in some really bizarre politics. We will encounter this king repeatedly over the coming episodes. Today, I want to introduce him and his early deeds. Supaluliuma became king of Hatti somewhere around 1360 BCE, but his career started much earlier. Originally, he served the king of Hati as a general, a military leader, who crushed rebellions and defeated enemies. Supaluliuma was successful, with many victories to his credit, and in time he built up a large power base. Supaluliuma was a prince, a son of the Hittite king, but he was not the heir. Instead, his elder brother, Tudhaliya was the favoured son. When their father died, it was Tudhaliya, not Supaluliuma, that became king. For a while, things were fine. But then Superluliuma upset the equation. He rebelled against his brother, and he led a coalition of warriors to seize the throne. This uprising had bloody consequences, which we hear about in a royal text. Tutkhalia was master of the land of Hatti. And the princes, the lords, the commanders of the thousands, the officers, all the soldiers, and all the charioteers swore allegiance to him. And my father, Supaluliuma, swore allegiance to Tutalia as well. But my father wronged tuthalia by rebelling, and all the princes, the noblemen, the commanders of the thousands, and the officers of Hati went over to my father. The gods seized Tuthalia and they killed him. Furthermore, they killed the brothers that had stood beside Tuthalia in loyalty. Supaluliuma served his brother, the king, for a while, but eventually he rebelled, and generals, nobles, soldiers, and officers rose up beside him. The rebellion overthrew Tuthalia, and the king died in mysterious circumstances. Of course, the author attributes this death to the god's displeasure. But we can see the writing on the wall. Whether he ordered it or not, Supaluliuma and his conspiracy were responsible. Having removed his brother by force, Supaluliuma took the throne. He became king of the land of Hati, and his power seemed assured. But the fact that he had rebelled, and the way his brother died were a stain on his legitimacy. Subaluliuma was a rebel, a brother-killer. That crime could not be forgotten. Having seized power, Subaluliuma did what he did best. He started a campaign. The king of Hati led his warriors on expeditions to defeat their enemies. Their target? The wealthy lands of Syria. In chapter 2, we explore the deeds of Superluliuma. The king of Hati would lead a powerful army on a wave of conquests. Through Syria and Iraq, he would stamp his authority over powerful kingdoms. In the process, Superluliuma would upend the old balance of power. And inevitably, he would have to deal with the pharaohs of Egypt. That is chapter two, after the break. See you in a moment. Chapter 2. The Deeds of Superluliuma The year was 1355 BCE, approximately. In the northern highlands, the kingdom of Hati had a new ruler. Superluliuma had taken power. Now, he would make his mark on the world beyond his borders. To begin, he would carve up the lands of Syria. In 1355, Syria was a patchwork of kingdoms and cities. Local rulers governed small territories, connected by trade routes and diplomacy. These kings fought amongst themselves, but they also traded and interacted in fascinating ways. More importantly, many of these rulers gave obedience to another king. A great king. A ruler to the east, who governed an empire and compelled their obedience. In 1355, many kings of Syria served the Matani. We have visited Matani before. This empire, stretching across Syria and Iraq, covered a huge area. The kings of Matani were powerful. They conquered realms, subjugated vassals, and established authority in broad regions. The Mitanni had overwhelmed parts of Syria, and they had even fought with Egypt. The kings of Mitanni and the Egyptian pharaohs had gone head-to-head on a couple of occasions. So the lords of Mitanni were serious rulers, top tier in the political hierarchy. That is a basic summary, but you get the idea. The Mitanni were powerful, they had influence, and they controlled much of Syria. Well... Sipaluliuma would change all of that. About five years into his reign, give or take, Sipaluliuma left his homeland and invaded Syria. He started moving against the Empire of Mitanni. Sipaluliuma and his soldiers, the warriors of Hati, poured into the Syrian highlands. They moved quickly, crossing the great rivers and advancing towards the east. It seems that Sipululiumar's invasion caught the Mitanni off guard. Either they did not expect this attack, or they were distracted by other problems. Either way, the Hittite army crossed a lot of territory before the Mitanni could react. The king of Matani and his charioteers retreated. They moved eastward, trying to escape the Hittite warriors. If there was any fighting, the Mitanni lost. Pretty soon... They were fleeing for their lives. The Hittite army had two main groups, the foot soldiers, or infantry, and the chariots. The chariots were the elite force. They belonged to wealthy nobles who wielded spears and bows while charging the enemy. The Hittite chariots were heavy, much heavier than the chariots of other societies. Every war cart held two or even three men, who could deal death to the enemies around. Of course, this extra weight made the Hittite chariots slower and a bit more unstable. But it had benefits in force. For the Hittites, the chariot was a powerful, smashing weapon. The Hittite foot soldiers were similar to their contemporaries. They came from the general population, the farmers, the workers, and so forth. In battle, they carried spears or bronze swords, and they swore powerful oaths to serve the king. Hittite foot soldiers did not receive pay, but earned their rewards by plundering enemy camps and cities. In short, the Hittite troops were a classic army of the ancient world. Part-time, but capable, and ready to fight hard for rewards. This was the army that Suppiluliuma brought to Syria, the troops who attacked the Matani. Superluliuma's forces moved quickly. The chariots thundered across the plains, and the foot soldiers captured cities. The Hittite attack was fast, so fast that the Mitanni could barely react. It seems that Superluliuma and his warriors moved at speed, advancing rapidly to disrupt the enemy. The Matani forces melted before the onslaught. The king of Mitanni and his bodyguard could not stop this advance. They fled east, heading for their capital. Pretty soon, Sipaloleumar and his warriors were battering at the gates. The Matani king did not defend his main city. He fled, and the Hittites captured the centre, a town called Washugani. They plundered this Matani capital and celebrated their victory. Just like that, the power of the Matani was broken. The Hittites and their king had overwhelmed an empire. As the Hittites rejoiced, the Matani were in disarray. Their king, named Tushrata, had failed in his role. Ideally, Tushrata should repel all enemies and protect his land and people. Clearly, the gods had forsaken this king. As a result, Tushrata's days were numbered. As the Hittites captured his capital city, Tushrata fled east. Along the way, the king of Mitanni found himself isolated and alone. Soon, things took a turn for the worse. Having failed, Tushrata eventually faced a rebellion. His courtiers, led by one of his sons, turned on the king. They assassinated Tushratta and elevated the son to the kingship. In the process, the last great king of the Mitanni fell. Tushratta's reign ended in blood and failure. As a result, the empire he had commanded now faded. The Mitanni's supremacy was ending. The Hittites were rising. Superluliumar claimed that he had destroyed Mitanni in just one year. A single campaign from the north to the south overwhelmed the enemy and destroyed its capital. In a way, Superluliumar's attack was a parallel to the deeds of his ancestor. Mersili had destroyed Babylon in a single campaign. Now, Superluliumar matched that against the Mitanni. According to him, he now deserved the title of great king, Sarkush Hasus. The fall of Mitanni is a dramatic event in the history of this region. On the one hand, it's quite shocking. The Hittites overthrew the Mitanni so quickly that it almost seems easy. On the other hand, the Mitanni empire had been weakening for some time. Rebellions, civil wars, and general disturbances had caused problems in their political system. Also, Supaluliuma had planned this war carefully. In the years leading up to it, the king of Hati had formed alliances with many of the rulers around the Mitanni lands. Small states, petty kings, joined forces with the Hittite ruler. In other words, long before his army marched, Supaluliuma fought a war of diplomacy. He isolated the Mitanni king, peeling away his friends and vassals. Then, when the moment was right, the Hittites struck. They dealt a death blow and overthrew their enemy. It was a magnificent achievement. The armies of Suppiluliuma poured into northern Syria. They smashed the power of Mitanni and persuaded the smaller kingdoms and cities to submit. Minor rulers now gave obedience to the king of Hati, Many towns became his subjects. In just a few years, Supaluliuma went international. He established a Hittite empire. The king of Hatti did not control his vassals too closely, but he commanded their loyalty and their tribute. He and his troops had started something, and their invasions overthrew the old balance of power. As you can imagine, this kind of disruption would have lasting consequences. Most importantly, Suppiluliuma's conquests would bring him in contact and conflict with another great power. It was time for the Hittites to deal with Egypt. We do not know when exactly the Hittites first met the Egyptians. Our earliest records come from the diplomatic archives, when the king of Hatti and the pharaoh of Egypt corresponded. A letter from the Amarna archive records the communications between Suppiluliuma and Akhenaten. These two rulers spoke to one another via messenger, and in the process, they set the stage for the relationship between two great powers. It got off to a bad start. One of the letters is from Superluliuma, addressed to the pharaoh. It is not entirely clear which pharaoh specifically, but in the context, it is probably Akhenaten. The letter is a response to an earlier message, which the pharaoh had sent to the Hittites. We do not have that original letter, just Superluliuma's reply. But from the context, it seems like the king of Egypt and the king of Hatti did not have a good relationship Right from the start, we see these two men arguing. The letter conveys the anger of Supaluliuma. Apparently, the king of Hati had corresponded with the pharaoh, and when the pharaoh replied, Supaluliuma took offence to his words. The king of Hati said, Thus speaks the son, Supaluliuma, the great king, the king of the land of Hati, speaking to Huria, king of the land of Egypt, my brother. It is well with me, with you, my brother, may it be well also, with your wives, your children, your officials, your troops, your horses and your chariots, within your land, may it be very well. My brother, regarding your tablet that you sent to me, why did you emphasize your name above my name? And who ruined this good relation between us? Is this the polite way of doing things? My brother, did you write to me concerning peace between us? If so, why did you exalt your name above mine? Am I considered to be like a corpse? End quote. Ooh, was not happy. It seems that the pharaoh had written to him previously, but in that message, the king of Egypt named himself above the king of Hatti. In other words, the pharaoh prioritised his own name before that of Superluliuma. This was a problem. In ancient diplomacy, and modern, the language was important, and the order in which you addressed someone could communicate the attitude you had towards them. Apparently, the pharaoh had put his own name first, which indicated that he was superior. Superluliuma took offence to that. He was a great king. King of the land of Hatti, no one spoke to him like a subject. Nobody put Supaluliuma in a corner. There are a couple of these letters surviving between Supaluliuma and the pharaoh. They are damaged, and not much is left, but it seems like the two rulers corresponded a few times. If the first letter is any indication, they did not get along. Pretty soon, that relationship degraded further. Late in the reign of Akhenaten, Sipaloleumar started to attack parts of Egypt's empire. As we round out this episode, we will see how things went downhill. Around 1350 BCE, the second half of Akhenaten's reign, Sipaloleumar started to attack parts of Syria and Canaan. The king of Hati had already conquered many cities in the north, and he had smashed the empire of Matani. Now, the great king turned his attention to the wealthy lands of the south. The kingdoms of Amaru, Ugarit, Kadesh, and Nukashi were all fertile grounds for expansion. Over the next few years, Supaluliuma would start to pressure these communities. Having smashed his enemies and subjugated his rivals, Suppiluliuma began to move into Canaan. Once again, the king of Hathi was cunning. He used a combination of military force and diplomatic outreach to achieve his goals. We hear about this from letters, which various rulers sent to the pharaoh. Local kings living in Canaan started to report that the Hittites were encroaching. In one letter, a ruler tells the pharaoh about Hati's diplomacy. A Canaanite leader reported that Superliliumar had sent messages, embassies, to his land. Apparently, the king of Hati was offering treaties, offers to break away and join his empire. In the letter, we hear about the Canaanite response. Quote, To the son, the king, my lord king of the land of Egypt. Thus speaks Adad-Nirari, your servant. At the feet of my lord, I have fallen. The king of the land of Hati has sent to me tablets and treaties. My lord, I have rejected the tablets and treaty agreements. I am the loyal servant of Egypt. May my lord, the king, come forth to us, and we will seize the enemy lands and return them to our lord, the king of Egypt. May our Lord take a stand here this year. Do not be neglectful. A local ruler, Adad Nirari, was concerned at the Hittite messages. He asked the Pharaoh to come quickly and assert his authority. If the king of Egypt and his warriors came to Canaan, they could make a show of force and take back lost territory. If not, well, the king of Hati was not likely to stop. Super was following a similar strategy to the one he employed in Syria. He sent out messengers to various rulers with offers of friendship. The king of Hati wielded diplomacy like a sword. Where possible, he would separate vassals from their lord. He would isolate parts of Canaan so that he could subjugate them. This plan was risky, but worth it. If he could pry away a couple of kingdoms... Superluliumar would be in a strong position. In the later years of Akhenaten, Superluliumar began to encroach on the borders of the Egyptian empire. He sent out diplomats and possibly soldiers to encourage some communities to break away and join him. We do not know exactly how the Egyptians responded, but there is some evidence to suggest that Akhenaten did plan to attack. A few letters from local rulers suggest that the Egyptians were planning a new campaign. The rulers mention stockpiling, gathering supplies, in anticipation of the pharaoh coming. It seems that this attack never happened. Chances are, Akhenaten died before he could lead it. In other words, the Egyptians were preparing a counter-offensive. But at the very worst moment, their ruler passed away. So, Superlilumar began to encroach on the borders of Egypt's empire. And to his good fortune, his advance coincided with a period of disruption. In other words, the king of Hatti began his expansions at exactly the right moment. As Akhenaten's health, maybe his mind, and eventually his reign, failed, the king of Hati was expanding and getting stronger. By the end of Akhenaten's reign, Supaluliuma was in a powerful position. The problem of facing Supaluliuma would fall to the next generation. The king of Hati, Supaluliuma, was a cunning leader. Skilled in diplomacy, strategy, and war, he was an effective commander and ruler. The great king of Hatti was expanding his influence rapidly, and some of his movements were encroaching on Egyptian territory. Soon, he would become a major problem. We now come to the end of today's episode. The board is set, the pieces are moving. As the king of Hatti, Superluliuma, establishes his power, the pressure starts to build. Next time, Supaluliuma begins to encroach on the borders of Egypt. He pushes in on the edges of Pharaoh's empire. Most significantly, he intimidates smaller kingdoms, including some that we have met before. Next time, Supaluliuma advances, and he gets in contact with Amaru. The rulers of Amaru were a troublesome bunch, causing problems for their neighbours and for Egypt. Naturally, Superluliuma saw an opportunity, and decided to speak with them. That is episode 142c, releasing very soon. Thank you for listening to the History of Egypt podcast. Stick around after the break for a brief epilogue, in which the tales of ancient history have some unexpected counterparts in the modern world. The History of Egypt podcast is supported by you, the listeners, and by my patrons. Special thanks must go to my priest-level supporters on patreon.com. Linda, Terry, TJ, and Jason have made offerings to the podcast that are far beyond my wildest dreams. Folks, thank you kindly. Your support keeps me fed and helps me prepare for our campaign against the Hittites. To everyone who has joined Patreon.com, thank you very much. And to you, who is listening, thank you for joining me. In 1355 BCE the king of Hati led an invasion into Syria. After years of preparation, the Hittite ruler invaded the empire of Mitanni. He struck quickly and took the Mitanni by surprise. In less than one year, Suppiluliuma smashed the power of that once mighty kingdom. More than 3,000 years later, another Mitanni would find himself fighting against an invasion. You see, in the year 2020, a colossal war broke out. It involved thousands of people and a lot of money. This war broke out in the arenas of a video game. A video game that has quietly been pumping out amazing stories. The game is called EVE Online. EVE Online is a massively multiplayer online game. Thousands of people join up to pilot spaceships around a fictional galaxy. This galaxy, New Eden, is divided between organisations run by the players. They battle it out for domination, stealing resources and using every trick in the book to gain an advantage. At a basic level, the game is a massive, complex society operating by its own rules, and featuring some amazing events. Treachery, sabotage, colossal battles all appear in the annals of EVE Online. At the time of recording, one of these events is unfolding in grand fashion. Strangely, it involves the Matani. I don't play EVE Online personally, but I enjoy reading about it. The news reports and blog posts make for great storytelling, and player videos of massive battles can be quite beautiful. Bearing in mind that I am a total noob, here is the basic situation. In mid-2020, a war started in EVE Online. Like the war between Hatti and Matani, this war was long in the planning. Preparations began as early as 2014, when a player decided that he would take revenge on his former employer. That employer was called the Matani, the leader of the game's most powerful faction. The player called the Matani has been a long-standing figure in the EVE Online community. I can only assume he got the name from the ancient empire, which is an interesting choice. The Matani are not the most famous of ancient societies. Maybe that was the point, something offbeat but catchy to the ear. Either way, the current Matani is doing a really good job at holding his empire. The war that started in mid-2020 was an all-or-nothing gamble. The attacking faction had one stated goal, to wipe out the Matani and his organisation for good. In other words, thousands of players banded together to attack and hopefully destroy thousands more. On the surface, this might sound insane, or at least surprisingly intense. But EVE Online is that sort of game. It absorbs the player's interests and becomes a major part of their lives. And in the game, if peace reigns for too long, people get bored. So when a new war started and promised to be galaxy-shattering in scope, many people were happy to engage. Since mid-2020, this war has raged across the galaxy. Both sides have made impressive gains, leading massive assaults along wide fronts. Star systems, fortresses, mining colonies, and fleets have been swallowed up or even destroyed. In early October, the war reached a peak, when almost 9,000 players gathered together on a single battlefield. That was the largest fight in the game's history up to that point. It lasted for 14 hours, and in that time, more than 3,700 spaceships owned by the players were destroyed. This had a combined real-world value of almost 25,000 US dollars. So, things were crazy. At the end of 2020, and early 2021, another battle broke out. This one took place in a couple of phases, and it shattered the early record for player numbers. This time, over 13,000 people tried to participate. The fight was so large that it broke the game's server which caused a deadlock, and at the time of recording, this battle is only just being resolved. For those who are curious, it seems like the Matani lost this particular battle, or rather, his faction did. I don't know if he was participating. Now, the war drags on. None of this has anything to do with ancient history, really, but it's fun, and it's a cute example of how ancient stories can inspire new ones. How people making their own societies, online, can sometimes replicate events of the past. In this situation, it seems like the Hittites, attacking the Mitanni, are having a lot more trouble than Super Umar did. But who knows what the future holds? Will the Mitanni fall a second time? We will see.
1: fancy turns to one thing.
0: Hittites. Particularly the most famous Hittite king of them all, Superluleuma I. Hi, I'm Dominic from the History of Egypt podcast.
1: And I'm Scott Chesworth from the Ancient World podcast. And we're here to let you know about a very special event.
0: Every so often, the stars align such that two ancient podcasts intersect in April the History of Egypt podcast will be doing a special episode covering the deeds of Superluliuma, the Hittite king whose reign was contemporary with the Egyptian pharaohs Akhenaten, Nefer-Neferuaten, and Tutankhamun.
1: At around the same time, the Ancient World podcast will be starting a brand new series on the life and death of the Neo-Hittite kingdoms. Beginning with the Hittite capture of the Syrian city of Carchemish by, you guessed it, the I.
0: So be sure to subscribe to the Ancient World podcast to get the Hittite side of the story.
1: And subscribe to the History of Egypt podcast to get the Egyptian side of the story, along with this special episode on the I. Thanks for listening to our respective shows. May
0: the thousand gods of Hatti and the great gods of the Egyptian cosmos bless you
1: and your life.